Hey everyone, Merlin here wanting to say thanks for listening to the podcast. If you like what you hear or have heard for those prior listeners, be sure to check out our Facebook group of Grinding the Mythos. There's a link tree there that can take you to our other sites as they develop. And also it shows support to us and allows you to know more of the community and the team on the podcast. Now, I hope that you enjoy this upcoming episode here. Hello and welcome to Grinding the Mythos. I'm your host Merlin, as always going to take you into the realm of mythology. If you're a fan of a rebellious spirit, then this episode will be right up your alley. So without further ado, let us begin. Alright, so today's episode I'm actually kind of excited for here. We're going to be covering Sun Wong Kong. Now, a lot of you probably know the name from other mythological tales or what have you, uh, but he is the Chinese legend, essentially, of the Monkey King, as he's known in in English. So, kind of some base information on him. Um, He basically was a stone monkey, which, researching into it, kind of represents like a, a rhesus macaque so you can google image search those and see kind of what he looked from but he was considered a stone monkey because he was actually born from a strong magic stone that would get its abilities from the heavens which is yang i believe and then the earth which is yin and it was able to create life due to this this stone was located on the mountain of flowers and fruit which is essentially the monkey king's birthplace here Um, as i mentioned he is in chinese origin here mostly there are other people that adapted him for their own uses here but chinese was the underlying one here now some other base things about him he is most notorious in the tale of journey to the west it's actually a book that was written and mostly involving him it goes into his adventure and life and imprisonment and adventures to the west to well we'll get to that part at the end here don't want any spoilers um common or one little thing that i actually kind of realized is he's also the wielder of the ryu jing bang which is an eight ton staff Now, the impressive thing about this is he is the only one that actually could wield this. So, kind of brings us into the thing here. I kind of want to go over his abilities that he also has. Because, just as any good mythological legend has out there, you know, they all have their own little powers. So, he has a long list of them. And I'm going to just kind of list off the kind of, the the more impressive ones here for you. One of them is that he has actually the ability of 72 transformations now what this means is that he basically can shapeshift into any form that he wishes just by thinking it Um, on top of that he also has 84,000 hairs on him it's probably a very rough number I don't think anyone would have ever actually counted them but 
his 84,000 hairs that he has can also do the 72 transformations, inanimate or animate objects. So any of those 84,000 he can use to go ahead and create another image of something else that is actually a solid physical object. Um, his main thing that he would do is actually bite them in half so he could create more. So he'd pull a hair off, bite it in half, create two, and then he'd have two clones or anything of that nature. Which is also the other part that his hairs can do too. All 84,000 of them can also clone to him. So if you can picture one individual, he could create 84,000 versions of himself. Granted, he would be bald afterwards, but he can create 84,000 versions of himself. Uh, he also has super strength. And one of the comparisons that I believe is actually in the Journey to the West story is that it is such an immense strength that he has that he's able to carry the weight of two celestial mountains on him on his shoulders while being able to run, and I quote, with the speed of a meteor. So pretty fast, I'm assuming. Meteors, I think, actually do travel quite quickly. So that is rather impressive to be able to carry mountains and run that fast. The other ability he has, too, is the cloud trapeze or cloud walking which essentially allows him to move really quickly it allows him to cover around 33,554 miles approximately um, which to kind of put that into perspective the earth's circumference on either the equatorial well on the equatorial line is actually around 24,901 miles so he could travel around the world and then some in just one single step. That is a really quick time, and I don't even think you know anything else could top that. It's almost like teleportation at that point. The other one, too, that he has is what is called the body freezing spell. Now, this is one that he uses mostly for combat, I'm assuming. It allows him to essentially immobilize his enemies. He just makes them freeze, and that's that. Um, and on top of that, he then also has the protective circle, which he can make an impassable barrier that when he draws a circle on the ground using the staff, his uh, eight-ton staff that he has, nothing can get through it, which, I mean, I guess that's the meaning of impassable, so don't need to reiterate that. Another thing he can do, too, is summon local deities, so didn't really notice as to what that meant specifically but basically he can call upon not like your high gods but probably the low, lower lesser gods uh, and then he also has the ability to call upon strong winds and can create storms so kind of putting that all together imagine somebody who can lift mountains travel really quickly call upon storms and deities and makes barriers that you can't pass through and can freeze your body essentially he's a I guess what you would call an OP legend overpowered and that might be why they use him a lot in modern day video games mostly actually which we'll cover probably on the next episode if I end up needing to go that far um, but yeah that's the main note of most of his abilities here that I actually saw now 
kind of going into his background here, I had mentioned that, you know, he was born from a stone on the uh, mountain of flower and fruit, which is the actual name of the mountain from what I could gather here. Now, I kind of want to go a little bit more into detail on that and see more about a tale of his life. So it's going to be very rough, but it's essentially story time with Merlin now. Alright, so the birth of his story here, well, the story of his birth, is that he was born on the mountain of flower and fruit from the stone here that I mentioned, and it actually gave birth to a stone about the size of a ball. Now, when the winds blew on that ball, he ended up breathing life, essentially, into this stone, which caused... Sun Wong Kong to essentially be born. Upon his birth, when he finally was opening his eyes, uh, beams of light shot out of them that made the Jade Emperor, who is essentially like what I could gather, the defender of heaven, didn't look really much into him because he wasn't my main focal point, but it made him catch attention to whatever that was. He was intrigued, but then after Sun Wong Kong was eating some food and drinking and such, the light decided or started to fade, so he paid no mind to it, thinking that it was just an anomaly, essentially. Now, after his birth, he is able to automatically walk and crawl and everything like that, so not really a learning gap on that aspect. And he proceeds to kind of go about his life. He does befriend numerous animals, and eventually he actually joins a group of other wild monkeys. Now, this leads us to the birth of his name, essentially. So after playing with the monkeys, what they would do is they would ba bathe in a stream, and then one day, they all decided to trace the source of the stream. So they climbed up a mountain, and after climbing the mountain, they find a waterfall there. Having some more fun, they decided to declare that whoever goes through the waterfall and comes back out would be declared as the Monkey King. So without any hesitation, Sun Wukong basically gladly volunteers, jumps into the waterfall, and goes to the other side of it. This is where he finds a large iron bridge that crosses some rushing waters, ends up being the source of the stream, and there's a cave on the other side. So what he does is he goes, gets all the other monkeys to join him, they follow him, they end up making the cave on the other side of the bridge their home, and while they're rejoicing about having basically a new home here, he kind of pulls the card on them of, hey, you remember that bet we made? Well, I'm the one who did it, so you are officially declaring me as the Monkey King. And without hesitation, they all decide to actually join in on that, and they do name him the Monkey King. Um, basically, he lives like that for a little bit. Now, during his reign as the Monkey King, one of the older monkeys that were friends with him, they end up dying and this actually causes some heartache on his level here. And he decides that he doesn't want to suffer the same fate as that older monkey. So what he does is he decides that he will leave the cave and he's going to go forth and search for a key for immortality. So just kind of like a normal person would ever do, he goes and tries to see how he can live forever. Now during his travels, you know, he goes to a shore, runs into some villagers. When they see him, they, of course, run in fear because it's a walking monkey. 
that looks like a man and this is quite frightening so he does gather some clothing that was hanging out to dry and uses a hood to essentially disguise his face and proceeds on with the journey now as he's going through he comes across the forest and while he's going through this forest he runs into a woodcutter who's singing a very interesting song to him now to kind of put it in perspective on the monkey king's personality he's very inquisitive and i guess you can say uh, straightforward blunt basically if he ends up wanting something he goes for it and so he ends up getting curious about what this person is singing here because it is an interesting song to him and that's when the woodcutter advises him that he learned it from an immortal who resides inside the forest here so that of course sparks his interest and he decides that he's going to search the forest for this immortal and during his search he actually comes upon a temple that is in there and learns that a magical Taoist named, I'm hoping I pronounce this correctly, uh, named Subuti, is the one who resides in this in this temple here. Initially, Subuti refuses him entrance into this. So, with his persistence level, Sun Wong Kong essentially decides that he's going to wait for months, refusing to leave the temple, and just stay there waiting to get in. Now, the only thing I can think of is if you all have ever seen uh, Doctor Strange, it's kind of like when he ends up going and trying to learn, you know, the power to heal himself. It's kind of like that where he just stays there and they allow him in. Uh, so essentially, Sabuti eventually is impressed with his determination, allows him entrance into the temple, and then takes him on as a pupil. During his studies there, which lasts for years on end, he ends up learning the advanced Taoist practices, one of which is, of course, including how to become immortal, or the secret of immortality. Um, so basically, with no more teachings to teach him, the Taoist master tells him that basically he's all done and swears him to secrecy advising him that if he were to tell anyone where he learned it from that they would then get powers and he would be responsible for the mischief that they may cause and if he were to refuse them they would despise him or resent him due to the fact that he wouldn't share this with this information with them so Sun Wong Kong does swear to secrecy and that was the end of the training now he wakes up inside the forest where he was before no time really passed it was almost as if he just took a nap and figured that it was all basically in a dream that he had learned it so the way that he actually keeps his promise to swear to secrecy is that he would tell anyone that asked him that he learned it all in his dreams therefore never revealing who the master was and being able to keep his secret that he had promised so with that out of the way, that got him the immortality that he was looking for. Now, he decides that now what he needs next is a weapon, because he not, you know, only has his hands and his feistiness, essentially, to be able to fight with, but he needs something more. So he thinks about it, gives it some thought, and figures that the 
best ones to go and ask for a weapon would be the collectors of treasures, which would be the Dragon Kings, because as we all know, dragons like to hoard treasures. So he goes into a search for the Dragon Kings and travels all the way to the oceans to find the palace of the Dragon Kings. When he gets there, he promptly asks for an introduction with the Dragon King that resides there, whose name is Ao Guang, and essentially he turns him away, telling the guards to shoo him off and that he is not important, he doesn't need to have any introductions to him. This, of course, is the other part of Sun Wong Kong's personality, where he just barges past the guards and insists that he is going to get an introduction. So he gets all the way to the Dragon King and then pulls basically an attitude with him being on a situation of that he must be confused turning away a fellow king and all he wants is to just introduce himself. So he introduces himself as Su Moon Kong and then after he does that he asks that he be given a weapon essentially for the rudeness and just because he wants a weapon. <laughs> so the Dragon King decides that He's going to appease him of his request simply because of the fact that he is starting to see him as a formidable person that if he were to refuse him it might cause more issues. So he orders his underlings to bring out a variety of weapons ranging from you know your swords, your bows, your staffs, your shields, your you name it, anything gets brought out. And Sun Wong Kong goes through and test every single weapon that is before him. Basically realizing that none of them can hold up to his determination, personality, and lifestyle that he has. They're all not a match for him, which is disappointing. But then one of the final weapons that he stumbles upon is the golden banded staff called Ruyi Jingubang. Um, he picks it up to go ahead and test it and does so with quite the ease actually and this actually impresses the Dragon King as throughout all the time that they've had it he's the only one so far that's been able to wield it as it weighs 8 tons so quite a heavy thing now to put into some useful knowledge here as to what the weapon can do it essentially is able to change its shape and size so it can get larger smaller shrink um, it can also fly it can command or obey the uh, master's will at thought um, so he basically can throw it it'll fly out there it'll attack people that he wants and then come back to him when he wants it to think kind of like thor's hammer and so he uses this weapon as now his, and he rather enjoys it. Now, with the size change, basically what he does is he shrinks it down to the size of a sewing needle and puts it in his ear, and that's where he carries it. So he has an eight-ton staff that just sits in his ear. Um, now, after he has the weapon, he proceeds to go a little bit more and decide that he now needs clothing because he still has the rags that he got from that were hung out to dry and he needs something that's better than that to be able to walk around in civilization and everything like that so he asks the dragon king while he's there for clothes as well and the dragon king appeases him on this one as well 
calls forth a council, basically, of the other dragon kings that watch over the other oceans, and they all bring him one item each that makes up his clothes. Now, he gets a crown or a circlet that is the has phoenix feathers off of the front of it, and it's literally the phoenix circlet that he wears. Um, he ends up getting a chainmail shirt that was made from like heavenly gold basically and then the main one too is he gets the boots of cloud walking which allows him to go ahead and do that step that he ends up doing the one that can travel the 33,000 miles so he's able to take all these and it helps basically enhance his power so now we have a stone monkey that came from nothing that now has immortality advanced Taoist magical practices an 8 ton staff that is at his command and now the clothing that he has from this so all this leads to essentially a, a well living monkey king that he has now he kind of goes on about his life and during all of this, he starts to kind of attract the attention of the person that I mentioned in the beginning, the Jade Emperor. Now, with this attention being draw drawn to him, the Jade Emperor decides that what he's going to do is invite Wukong to the heavens here to, it's kind of to keep a close eye on him, maybe partially to kind of mock him as he's a stone monkey that thinks that he's all high and mighty. Uh, either the matter, basically, he invites him. Wukong, of course, takes this as a sign of impressiveness because he's being invited into heavens by the Jade Emperor himself. So he obviously jumps all over this request to go and visit. Now, when he gets there, basically, the Jade Emperor assigns him to be Stable Boy. And as anyone knows from stories or what have you in the past and everything stable boy is not usually the most ideal job so this kind of angers the monkey king and he decides that what he's going to do is he's going to let loose the cloud horses that reside in heaven in the stables and then proceeds to leave heaven on his own accord and decides that he's going to name himself the great sage equal to heaven that is a title that basically Wukong bestows upon himself. This, of course, being kind of a, a challenge to the heavens themselves. And it worked because it does upset the Jade Emperor that he has enough gall, essentially, to say that he's equal to heaven, even though he's just a monkey. And Golden Star, who is the one that actually advise, advises the Jade Emperor basically tells him that it may not be wise to attack him and instead to try and make right by the wrong that he did advising that the jade emperor basically invite him back and give him a little bit better of a position than what he had prior jade emperor does take this advice invites him back makes him the guardian essentially of the peach peach tree garden that he owns that are in heavens now Mind you, these are not any ordinary peaches. They're ones that extend your life by about 3,000 years for eating one. 
they also give you the abilities then to do things such as like breathe underwater, um, all sorts of different options here that are there. There's actually three types of them. All of them do different things, but the main one is the 3000 life extension here that they do. So Wukong again accepts this, takes it as their sign of trying to apologize to him. And also loving peaches decides that this will be the perfect gig for him because he can eat peaches while he guards the garden. Why not do this? So he takes it upon himself to go there, guards the garden as uh, he's supposed to do. Well, he ends up getting in or er, visited by some maidens that live in the heavens. And they basically go about kind of mocking him saying, oh, if you're so special, why weren't you invited to the heaven banquet that we have going on or coming up soon here? Which, of course, piques Wukong's interest again because, as you kind of can gather throughout all this, he has a very egocentrical attitude about him where he thinks he's just the greatest, so why would no one invite him? This is very odd. He's in the heavens. They should be inviting him, especially since he's the great sage. So he waits till the day of the actual banquet itself and decides that he's going to leave his post at the Peaches and basically go wander the heavens and see what's out there. Now, the heavens that this basically represents, they're multiple layers. This is basically like the first layer, the entrance to heavens. So it's very well protected. Going past, they got guards, they got everything like that. Um, so he proceeds to, to eat the peaches, giving him some more powers, longevity, that type of thing. Because for each one you eat, you gain the 3,000 life. He's probably eaten a ton by now because he loves them. So there's that going for him. Now, as he's wandering, he ends up getting into the higher levels of heavens, which only can be essentially accessed by someone who is spiritually sound is the way that I could gather it. Um, it is, I'm actually looking here right now. Yeah, only the most high level of immortals can reach it. So there's no guards there because they don't expect anyone to be able to actually get in there. And so he just kind of wanders in all nonchalant like, ends up finding that there's the heavenly wine that's there, which also gives you immortality and longevity. And then he also ends up stumbling in his drunken stupor into essentially the alchemist lab, basically, of the heavens, where they were creating these things called pills of longevity. Now, this extends your life, just as it says in the, in the name, the longevity there. And he decides that he's going to consume basically a whole handful without even any thought. So he eats all of those, he eats the peaches, he's drinking the wine, which gives him the life. Um, and then after he has his fill of that, he decides he's going to go back and start plotting his rebellion stage against the heavens here. So he goes back, starts to formulate this. He's already got quite the following on Earth with other earthly kings, I guess you can say, of other animals. And they all form with him. He's plotting this all. Well, the heavens take this as an affront to them, so of course they do what's only natural, and they send an army after him. 
he decides he wants to take this on on his own. So without any actual support, he goes and faces the army of the heavens all by himself. This basically wraps up to him beating over 100,000 celestial warriors, uh, 28 constellations, because they apparently fight for the heavens as well. And he ends up actually defeating all of the generals except for the best of the heaven generals, which he ends up basically matching him equally in fighting capability. So quite an impressive feat there. Um, after he does all this, though, they do finally end up catching him. They take him and they throw him into a chamber that it was kind of like a torture chamber that he has. And they imprison him in there for 49 days. Now, the whole purpose of this was to try and actually squeeze out, essentially, the essence of the pills of longevity and get back kind of what they feel was rightfully theirs. However, all it ends up doing is he ends up escaping inside of it, hides into one of the chambers that are inside of here, because there were, I believe, I want to say five or six of them, all of which were like different elements. And he hides in the wind one to protect him from the fires that were supposed to sweat out the essences. Now, this gives him essentially some different powers, such as the ability to see evil without reading here. It allows him to see evil in any form. So it doesn't matter what form it actually takes, he can see if it's evil or not. Um, it's actually called the fiery eyes, which he got from the fire that was in there. And the wind control that he has came from being locked into the wind chamber. Uh, but he breaks out and he's unharmed essentially by this. He's stronger than he was before. So finally, once he gets out of there, the Jade Emperor decides that he's had enough and he reaches out for aid from none other than the Buddha. Now, hearing his cries for help, the Buddha decides that he will go ahead and actually assist. So he comes down himself and essentially meets with Wukong and the Jade Emperor. Wukong tries to appeal to him and let him know that, you know, in his egotistical side of things, decide that he's going to let the Buddha know that he's to be the next Jade Emperor and that he should be made essentially the Emperor right then and there. The Buddha takes this as an opportunity and offers him basically bets him that if he can escape the Buddha's palm he would be able to go ahead and become the next emperor Wukong with his basically cocky attitude that he has takes it up instantly tries to escape the Buddha's palm he actually jumps to what he thought was the end and he saw the five pillars marks his name on one of the pillars and then jumps back tells the Buddha that he is actually one and that he's to be the next Jade Emperor now of which the Buddha laughs and says no you simply marked one of my fingers and so Wukong tries to run away again and in the process ends up getting actually trapped because he's never able to escape and the Buddha just kind of crumbles the world down upon him causing him to be trapped into a mountain so now he's completely trapped. His head and his arms are out separate from each other, but that's it. He cannot move. He is in a mountain. That, that's where he sits. Um, the Buddha, of course, you know, being the kind person that he is, does have two or spirits that feed and water him as he's needed while he's trapped. 
this basically he stays in this entrapment for 500 years which for wukong isn't too long because he's immortal upon immortal um but he stays there for 500 years upon which he ends up actually actually escaping fast forward a little bit here he get he gets let go not even escapes he gets let go under the essentially the stipulation that he follows a pilgrimage to the west to go ahead and try to learn the virtues and teachings of buddha himself he takes this upon himself to go ahead and join that as a measurement they do put another circlet on him that with the certain chant that the priest the main priest actually knows it would tighten around his head giving him severe headaches so hopefully this would go ahead and actually keep him under wraps um long story short though he basically travels to the west learns all of the virtues and teachings of buddha himself and at the end of it he actually ends up attaining buddhahood and becomes the victorious fighting buddha and yeah, that's basically where his tale ends now you look into it, it says that he's still you know existing today because he's immortal he would live forever um but that's definitely one of my favorite asian legends i should say here um wukong's always been one of my great ones here which i'm just glad that i was able to share it here with you all um uh, with that being said, we will definitely cover how he relates into the media and, you know, some games, video games, animes, books, anything like that on the next episode here. It was definitely a pleasure as always, and thanks for listening to Grinding the Mythos. Bye!